Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Hey, good morning. It's so good to see all of you today. It's so good to be in this church, at this place, at this time. And it's so good to finish up our sermon series called How Things Grow. So for the last four weeks, we've been taking a look at the biblical metaphors throughout Scripture about agriculture and growth. And we've been learning from those metaphors how they apply to growth in our spiritual life as well. And so we've talked about concepts like harvest and how harvest doesn't just happen because the corn isn't going to go pick itself. We've talked about the power of pruning and the importance of soil. And today we're going to talk about what do you do when the harvest is abundant? What do you do after the harvest, after, after God has blessed? And so if we could, I'd like to turn our attention to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading with verse 13. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. The words will be on the screen for you. Someone from the crowd said to him, him is Jesus. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to, do, to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? And then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. And then he told them a story, a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. And he said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. And then he thought, well, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. And I'll say to myself, you've stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. This is God's word this morning. Whoa. (laughs) So here's the story. A man comes up to Jesus and tries to bait him into like a family squabble a family disagreement about money. So here's what's happened. The father has passed away and a fight has broken out amongst the father's children about the father's inheritance. And so one brother comes to Jesus and says, hey, 
force my brother to divide the money, to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, now back then, inheritance was an even bigger deal than it is today. Back then, this is an agricultural, agrarian society, inheritance was the primary generator of wealth. And so the rules of inheritance were a little bit unfair. The rules went like this. If you were the oldest son, you got a double portion of the inheritance. But you were also the executor of the estate. So you got a double portion. You were the executor of the estate. And so it was your job to divvy up the inheritance amongst all of the other children. But you paid yourself twice. Those were the rules. And so it's probably the younger son who comes up to Jesus in this story and says, hey, force my older brother to actually give me my share of my father's estate. And Jesus knows better than to get into any sort of family argument about money. Can I get an amen? And so he says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. And then he goes on to tell this story. And this story has been called the story or the parable of the rich fool. And here's how it goes. This guy is a farmer. And he's had a tremendous year. He's worked really hard and he caught all of the breaks. He had enough rain and sun No parasites or disease. The fertilizer really worked well. The seed was the perfect match for the soil conditions. He had good, reliable, and dependable labor to help him. And the result was an abundance. More than he was even prepared to manage. And so his life, the life of this farmer in this story, is a life of abundant possession overflowing with excess, so much so that he cannot even hold it. So he has to figure out what he's going to do. And so his plan to remedy this is to tear down the existing barns on his property and to build bigger barns. Those barns he could stuff full with all of his windfall, and then he could sit back, look at those huge barns, They were like his bank account, his retirement fund that he could wake up to and look at every single morning and admire all that he has. This is like Floyd Merriweather, whose Instagram has $1.8 million of cash just laying on his bed. This is what's happening in this story. And so he says to his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many, many, many years. The good life has finally come to you, so relax, eat, drink, be merry. And God looks at all of this, this story. He says, you're a fool. You're a fool. In fact, it's more pointed. You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And then the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So it is with all of those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. 
All right, sermon over. Uh, But before we close down today, I'm going to have the ushers come back again. And we'll receive some more because I think you all have some more to give. And then we'll go on our way. No, I was joking. I was joking. That's the story. That's the whole story. But we need to spend some time with that story because what Mark Twain said a long time ago is really true. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. So here's the question that I'd like to start off our conversation with this morning. Why did Jesus even need to tell this story? Why did he need to share it? I mean, he kind of gives the punchline of the whole point of the story before he tells the story. He puts the punchline at the top. He says, be on guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's the whole point. So why, why tell this story? And when he tells a story, we expect to hear a story that will prove that point. A a story about somebody who's super greedy. But the man, the farmer in this story is not like a bad person. There's no hint that like he acquired all of his land illegally or that he exploited hired hands. He said, Jesus says nothing about this guy's usurping the lands of the poor in order to raise coffee or cotton for export. Just this one straightforward sentence. The land of this guy produced abundantly. Now, he's a farmer, so that's a good thing. As any farmer knows, when that miraculous season happens and everything works together and the land produces abundantly, it is time for celebration because there's so many variables just completely out of your control. To extend the metaphor beyond the farm, I mean, it's a really wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing when we experience abundance in our own lives, when our career grows or our family grows, when we have more income than expenses, when we have more time than obligations. Abundance is a great thing. And this farmer's land produced abundantly. And some in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to might have been saying, yeah, it produced abundantly because this guy is a good guy and God blessed him He's a devout man and a righteous man. And because he's devout and because he's righteous, his his land produced really well. Of course, that's what happened. And they said that because they knew their Bibles. If you know your Bibles, you know that line of thinking is in there too. Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this. You shall again obey the Lord, observing all his commandments that I am commanding you today. And if you do that, here's what's happened. Here's what will happen. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all of your undertakings, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your soil. It's a simple if-then sort of construction. If you obey the Lord, if you observe all of his commandments that Deuteronomist says, then the Lord your God will produce an abundance in your life. 
And so the people who heard this parable might have been thinking to themselves, of course he's prosperous because he's righteous. He's faithful. And Jesus doesn't challenge that thought at all. He doesn't point out any kind of sinful behavior when the man's land produced abundantly. The land produced in abundance. That was a fact. And that wasn't the problem. This was. When the farmer started to say to himself, what should I do? I've run out of room to store my crops. In other, in other words, his grain bin was already full. He already had all that he needed. So his solution to the problem was this. I'll pull those things down. I'll tear down those small barns and I'll build larger ones so that I can store even more grain and goods. And notice, notice the language here. What should I do? I will do this. I will tear them down. I will build. I will store. I, I, I. I, I, I. The man's world has become so small that he's taught having a conversation in his mind. He's not even talking this over with anyone else. He's only talking to himself. What should I do? He asks, but he isn't asking anyone else. He's stuck inside of his own head. And then he says, these are my crops, my barns, my grain. My goods. It's almost like the connection between himself and the rest of the world has closed down. He has no memory of God's commands to make sure that other people are taken care of. He can't see beyond the edges of his own field anymore. He's isolated in a world that he's created for himself. This land is his. These barns are his. The grain in those barns is his. The goods are his. I, 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 my, my, my. And so since he has all of this stuff, since it all belongs to him, he continues talking to himself and he says, Look, I said to my soul, soul, You have so much stuff laid up for many years. So just kick it back. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. And Jesus tells this story, and to the end, he adds on, there's not going to be many years for you. There's not even going to be another morning. He calls him a fool. This very night, your life is demanded. And let's be clear here. God did not call this man a fool because he was productive. He called him a fool because this man was lost inside of his own distorted definition of the world. 
And his world revolved around I, 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 and my, my, my. Now that's the story. But I want to share a few challenging, a few thoughts on, on what I think is a really challenging word from God. And the first is this, and I've already alluded to it. The pronouns of your life are essential. The pronouns of your life are incredibly important. Because the problem in this story is not the abundance of the farmer's land. The problem, well, at least one of them, were his pronouns. And his pronouns were I, 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 my, 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 me, me, me. And that just doesn't fly in God's kingdom. And wherever Jesus went, Jesus was consistently calling people beyond the M word, my crops, my grain, my barn, my stock options, my 401k, my possessions. And Jesus understands that this would be incredibly difficult for people. It's really terribly hard because seeing beyond our own interests has even become even more difficult in our time and in our history. And I and my are way more popular pronouns than we and ours. The pronouns that dominate your life are so important. If your life is geared more around the pronouns of I and me and my, as opposed to we and our, please take notice. Because it could be that your life is drifting towards a way other than God's way in the world, because God's way in the world is dominated around others instead of self. It's not enough to talk about my crops and my grain and my barns and my happy life. That's not what Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come into this world to supplement our life, to make our life even happier. Jesus came into this world to save the world and to call a people forward who he could use in that mission. And to be a part of the mission necessitates that the pronouns that dominate our life shift from a focus on ourselves to a focus upon others. Watch your language and watch your pronouns this week. And if you start to notice that the things that are dominating your self-interest and the things that are dominating your time and your energy are all oriented around I, me, and my, be on guard. Because it could very well be that your life is being patterned in a way that's contrary to God's way in this world. That's the first thing that I think we learn. Watch your pronouns. The second is this, but it follows The harvest that you are experiencing or the harvest that you will one day experience, that harvest is not for you. It's not for yourself. Let me say that differently. The abundance that God produces in your life, that abundance is not for you. It's not for yourself. And this is the most challenging word in what I think is one of the most challenging passages of Scripture. This is incredibly difficult to preach. So, let me be clear. Jesus has no problems with abundance. He's not against abundance. God is not against prosperity. 
In fact, the opening command of Scripture that God gives to God's people way back in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, the opening command is to be prosperous. It's to be fruitful and to multiply, to prosper, to produce fruit, to harvest. So if anyone wants to come to you and say, listen, God is against prosperity, God's against abundance, God has no interest in that, that is just a flat out lie. In this story, Jesus has no issue with the farmer's fields that produced in abundance. So don't let anybody anybody ever convince you that God wants you to be miserable. That's not what God's up to. God's not interested in you living a life that's defeated or unvictorious, a life that's weak or puny or unproductive. Don't confuse that with God. Our God is a God of abundant generosity who gives and gives and gives and blesses and blesses and blesses. But here's the catch. God doesn't produce an abundance. God doesn't bless us just so that we can build bigger barns. He doesn't bless us just so that we can diversify our portfolio. He doesn't bless us just so that we can have more square feet. He doesn't bless us just so that we can have newer and nicer and shinier things. That's not the intention of God's blessing in our life. God gives and God gives and God gives and God blesses and God blesses and God blesses. Why? Not so that we can clench our fists and hold on to it tightly. He doesn't bless it so that we can stockpile it for ourselves. In fact, there is no way to thwart the blessing of God in our world and in our lives. There's no quicker way for God to look at us and say, that is so foolish. Or to make it more personal, you're a fool. There's no quicker way to get to that place than for us to stockpile the harvest. And that's what this farmer was planning to do. Now let's be clear. Let's be clear. The way that you get somewhere in life where you are experiencing an abundance is not unless you were like born at third base with a silver spoon in your mouth. It's not by just sitting on your hands or making foolish decisions or not working or not trying. Now, that's not how it goes. It's not how it goes now. It's not how it went then. The way that abundance is generated is through work and through effort and through wisdom and through good decisions. And over a series of time, the hope is that those decisions accumulate or that they compound And soon you have way more than you once had. It's the story that any farmer knows. It's the story of us starting off with a small piece of ground and managing that as well as you possibly can so that hopefully generations from now, what is produced will be compounded and multiplied. That's the way that abundance is generated. And so this farmer worked and tried And made good decisions. It did the very best he could. He planted and he watered and he tended to the ground like it was one of his own children. And then it produced an abundance. But what was the first thing that he thought he should do 
with that excess. He had way more than he needed. What did he think to do? Did he think, you know what? (laughs) I got some neighbors. They don't have much. I can afford to share some with them. Was that the first thought that crossed his mind? Was the first thought that crossed his mind, hey, you know what? Um, Listen, I've already got barns full of goods that I have yet to sell. And now I have so much. Maybe I could empty out those barns, sell the proceeds to help some people that are in need. Did he think that? No, what he thought is, this is mine. And I work for this. And so I'm going to hold on to it. But I got a problem. I can't hold on to it. So I'll spend money and resources to tear down my storage, build bigger storage, so that I can store more. Do you see his thought process? It's all about himself. Rembrandt painted this famously. I love the way Rembrandt paints this. Um, I don't know if you can see this on the screen. It's a little bit dark. But what's happening here in this painting is in the center there, that's, that's the rich farmer or the rich fool. And he's holding a candle. And the candle is illuminating his needs right there on that one scroll. But surrounding him are scrolls and scrolls and scrolls and scrolls. And those scrolls obviously represent the needs of people within his community. But he can't see them because he's only focused on himself. And the truth of that painting is that when we live our lives like the farmer in this story, this is exactly what happens. We turn inward. And we only think about us. We don't think about other people, but here's what's worse. We don't even think about God. We don't ask, hey God, what would you like for me to do with these resources that you have given to me, that you've blessed me with, that you've entrusted to me? And while Building bigger barns and turning inward and only thinking about ourselves makes good business sense. It doesn't make good theological sense. Because the Bible consistently mentions this pattern of God. He blesses us and blesses us and blesses us and blesses us so that we can be a conduit and bless others. In fact, he commands it. I want to read two scriptures for you. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26 says this, When you have finished your harvest, when you have finished paying the entire tenth part of your produce on the third year, that is for the paying the tenth part, you will give it to the Levites, to the immigrants, to the orphans, and to the widows, so that they can eat in your cities until they are full. When you've had enough, then you're to give the rest, God says, to these other people, 
so that they have what they need until they're full. And then this one is, is pretty pointed. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10. The instruction is this. Do not pick your vineyard clean or gather up all of the grapes that have fallen there. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God. Here's what's happening there. God is saying to people whose job is is to harvest grapes. They own vineyards. So they plant grapes, they work the ground, they water, and then it comes time for harvest and they go along and they harvest. And during the process of harvesting, they miss some because that's what you do. Or maybe the plant produces a little bit more a little bit later. Or some fall on the ground. And the instruction of God to his people is, you already harvested everything that you need. Don't go back and harvest that a second time. Don't don't go back and pick up what's off the ground that you dropped. Leave what's there, there. Why? It was an effort through a command of God to get God's people to stop only thinking about themselves, to start thinking about others, because the principle of the harvest is this. The harvest is not just for you. Your harvest is not just yours. God blesses and blesses and blesses, not so that we can store and store and store, but that's so that we can we can give. This is a hard word. It's a challenging word. And it doesn't get easier. The third thing is this. The first was watch your pronouns. The second is your harvest is not yours. And the third is this. Man, this is tough. There's no retirement from kingdom work. There's no retirement from kingdom work. This is really hard to preach, but I love all of you enough that I need to tell you the truth. In our culture, this is how it's set up. We work and we work and we work and we work and we work. Can I get an amen? And we work and we work and we work. So that one day we hopefully won't have to work. We can retire. And hear me out. Not having to work is not a bad thing. It's a fine thing. It's a good thing. But listen, while we may be able to retire from our career, while we may be able to retire from our job, we are never able to retire from kingdom work. It's not an option. There's never an option to say it's not my time anymore. I'm done. It's not, there's never an option to say, I, I, I was and I, I used to and I did, but I'm, I'm not anymore. That's not an option in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is today your life is being demanded from you. Today your life is being called out. Not yesterday, not 10 years ago, today. Your life is being demanded 
from you. Why? There's still work for us to do. As long as God gives us the gift of breath, as long as God blesses us, as long as God gives us life and an able body or a sound mind, there's still things for us to do. We're never done. There's still a world that needs to be remade. There's still areas in our life that continue to be grown towards the image of God. We still have work available for us. Retirement is fine when we retire from a career or from a job. And some of y'all need to retire because that job is sucking the life out of you. But listen, we as God's people can never kick our feet back. We can never say, I'm done. I used to. I once did. I will no more. That language doesn't work. It doesn't fly in God's kingdom. Why? Because it leads us inward. It keeps us thinking about ourselves. When we start to say that, we miss the fields that are ripe, that need workers. When we start to say that, we've turned our attention off of other people and we're only seeing the candlelit lists that illuminate right in front of us. We don't see the needs that surround us. Listen, the need, if, if there is a Sunday where this message should be completely clear to us, it's, it's today after we've witnessed yet again our world unraveling. The need is too big. It's too great. We need all available bodies to get out there in the field because the harvest is not just for us. It's for everybody. And God has blessed us with time now. Or he's blessed us with an ability. And he'd love to use it to bless others. There's three things I think we learn from this parable and they're all hard to preach. The first is watch the pronouns of your life. And if it's all I, me, and my, it could be that your life is being patterned and shaped in ways contrary to God's way in the world. The second is God's going to bless you. God has blessed you. He'll continue to bless you. But that harvest is not just yours. He's blessing you so that you will bless others. And the third is kick your feet back from that job. But never, ever kick your feet back from work in God's kingdom. Why? Your life is being demanded today. Today. 